0: Welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Great! I am so honored. I'm going to actually stand up here because I'm a giant. Um, that's very honoring, but uh, <laughs> physically not so much. And. I don't want to be like, you know, for the back, people at the back looking for Waldo. So stand up here. It's very, very good to be here. I was so excited when I got out of the car and I could feel the energy. In fact, I've been feeling the energy for ever since Jake and Jenny have been here and I've been following you on the Facebook. And the Instagram, and uh, I always said to Jenny and Jake, if if I ever get a chance to hang out with you guys, I'd love to. And here we are. And I felt that energy as I came around the corner and drove into the parking lot, and the spirit of expectancy. One of the things I'm going to be speaking about today is what are the what are those qualities that God loves in the church. I mean, that makes the heart of God leap, where, where it elicits from God himself this roar, this joyful, this almost volcanic yes. What is God looking for in the church? And I'm going to look at a story in the book of Acts in a moment and kind of identify some of those things but one of them is where the church is not marked by a spirit of expectation which is always about trying to get my own way it's marked by a spirit of expectancy which is God I know you're up to something I can't wait to see what it is (laughs) And I felt it as you felt it too, right? the kiss came in, and it's just this beautiful expectancy that marks out your community. I asked Jake last night, I said, could you give me a word or two that really captures where your church is at right now, where Hope City is at? You know, the overall mood, and I sort of listed out some possibilities. Are they are they tired? <laughs> a lot of churches are tired, uh, frustrated, et cetera. And, and he instantly got back excited. Yeah, come on. I mean, show it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited with you and for you and very, very... In fact, when I, when I saw Jenny, she walked up and I, I tried to say it. Um, she said, thank you for coming. And I wanted to say both, I'm honored and this is awesome, but it came out as I am awesome. And <laughs> it's, it's so... Uh, I hope I haven't set too high an expectation <laughs> for myself. I was praying for, uh, since I got invited here, what, God, what do you want me to say to this good people? Again, I have a sense, a little bit of who you are from the Facebook. Um, but uh, the Lord, I kept sort of, I, I kept sensing, what it, what, is it this text, is it that text? And God kept bringing me back to a passage in the book of Acts. And I've spoken from it a few times in my ministry. But here's the thing. Every time I've spoken, not every time, but most times I've spoken from that, uh, I've sensed that the Lord was kind of not so much giving a church a rebuke, but a little bit of a nod, a nudge. you know. Like. And what I sensed uh, as God kept drawing me back to this passage is for Hope City, it was a this yes. I, I, I need you to know that as, as I set out, that it's a sense of God looking at this group of people in this community at such a time as this, and God saying, I like that. He does that, you know, in you know, the book of Revelation. Uh, there's some churches that God, you know, he says, like this, not so much that. But there's a couple churches in the letters to the Churches of Asia Minor is just like, yes, <laughs> yes. And, and that's what I was sensing in my spirit, that God has led me to this particular passage in Acts, because in the heart of the Father for you is a giant yes. And what I think my sort of role, um, the, 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 the thing that God's asked me to come and bring to you is that affirmation, and if anything is pep talk, it's... Please keep doing this. (laughs) Amen. Jenny was in a few classes that I taught, and she was uh, just, I I really enjoyed her presence. Remember the preaching class we did? And I kept saying, this is going to be so fun. And I just, I would make them get up and, you know, do, do on the spur of the moment public talks and things like that. But you were a great sport. But I think in one of the courses that you took with me, we wondered out loud together as a a group of students the kind of language the early church used to self-describe. When they thought about themselves, what was the language that they were drawing from in in the culture of the moment... The language, Greek it happened to be, that they, they could pull from to say, this is us. And if you look at the couple of words that they, they drew on, it wasn't obvious that that would be a way for a people of faith to describe themselves. One of them, uh, in, in, when they described their worship, and by the way, magnificent, thank you, but they used this weird word, liturgy, which uh, meant in the time a public work. A liturgy was like building a bridge. (laughs) And and the idea of a liturgy is everybody had to participate and everybody got to benefit. That's what they call worship. Everybody has to participate and everybody benefits. Isn't that cool? So whatever, you know, we have churches, we call them liturgical and there's some kind of structure. No, liturgy is y'all in (laughs) and y'all get filled by it. And nobody but nobody in the religious, various religious communities, pagan communities in the early uh, time of the early church was using that to describe what they were doing whenever they were worshipping. Only the church thought, no, this is a very public thing. Everybody's in. Everybody gets something from it. But here's the word that most blows my mind, the word they chose to call themselves uh, for church. Ekklesia. Ekklesia. There isn't a single other example that we can find of any group in the ancient world calling themselves as they gathered to worship their deity an ekklesia. Because it was, again, describing in the time, the ekklesia was a gathering of citizens to make decisions on behalf of the whole community that would have repercussion and ongoing ripple effect in that community. So every time the church thought of themselves as gathering, they thought, we're an ecclesia, we're a group of the people so deeply invested in this community that what we're going to do is going to matter, what we do in here matters out there. Is that awesome? (laughs) Now, I travel a fair amount and get to talk to pastors all the time, and I have to say that the concept, the root idea of ecclesia, is in uh, sore repair in many parts of Canada today. We're huddling. We're hiding. We're nursing our wounds. We're scared. We're angry. We're divided. This whole idea that we're a group of people who, when we come up in here, what happens in here. Actually is good news for out there i I want to see more of it, but i 'm actually this is where I feel the deep yes of God for your community, Hope City. You get it. You're doing it. An ecclesia right before my eyes. You instinctively know it, right? What happens here. Matters there. And we're not talking that you go, there. would be these angry, belligerent mess, make it, you know, get everybody sort of uh, defensive. I mean, it's just this, this brimming of uh, full pouring forth of the goodness of God when you go to work, when when the students we just pray for go into their classrooms. Ecclesia. Well, well, I want to take us to this text that I believe God led me to for your, for, for uh, this moment, where we see in the book of Acts, by the way, the book of Acts and the ministry of Jesus, if you want to kind of get this, the concreteness, what it looks like at any given moment, in any given situation, a church, a community, a faith community doing the thing that what they do actually matters and is good news to the neighbors, just Read the Gospels through that lens. Read the book of Acts. So there's this passage in the book of Acts that God kept leading me back to. say, so talk about that, Mark. I want to start with not the story proper, but uh, what happens after the story that we're going to get into. And it's actually in Acts chapter 17 when Paul, the Apostle Paul, and Silas, and a few others go into a town called Thessalonica. Now, this isn't the story we're going to look at. But it's what the people in Thessalonica say about Paul and Silas and the gang of Christians as they roll in that I want to kind of use as a starting point. If, if you have that, uh, that text, 17.6, so uh, what, when they did not find them... So here, let me set this up. Just put that up there. Uh, it's Paul rolling into Thessalonica. Now, you need to know that we have no, in the Bible, physical description of the apostle Paul there's a few hints, but nothing. But there is a deep tradition about how Paul looked physically. He was short. He was bald. I, come on. <laughs> he was pigeon-toed. Or bandy-legged. There's different descriptions. He didn't... It's maybe from some of the beatings, but he didn't sort of... He just had this kind sort of maybe halting gait. And he had kind of a high voice. That's the tradition around Paul. Short, bald, bandy-legged, and maybe a bit pipsqueaky. Not a specimen of male virility and menace. Uh, but what happens is he comes in the Thessalonica, and people flip out. And a whole bunch of people get together and they get this. They, uh, they, they, they come and they find, they can't find Paul house, but they, they find some of them. And they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come here now. Like I, I love actually the King James version of this. These are those who turn the world upside down. Little Paul, with <laughs> maybe a high voice. and I, These are those who turn the world, a little bald, short Paul, turned the world upside down. What the heck? They're, they're, they're startled because they realize that some force, some power, some, so, something that no one has witnessed, experienced before has just rolled into their town, and nothing will be the same afterward. Oh, these are those who turn the world upside down. Now, the next verse, verse 17, uh, it's it's, it's always interesting to me what non-believers say about believers, and sometimes they're just way off, and other times they nail it. And these people in Thessalonica nail it. These are those who turn the world upside down, and then they diagnose what's the root cause of that turning the world upside down. So he said, Jason has welcomed them into the host. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. <laughs> they, they instinctively understand that what's energizing, what's motivating, what's animating little bald, sh- bald you know, short Paul <laughs> is not some kind of super heroics. What animates Paul is he has centered his life in a reality that there's nothing in this world that can give him that, but there is a power in worshiping and knowing and loving and serving the crucified and risen Savior. There is another king, and that turns the world upside down. And so the first thing I would say about a church that actually is ecclesia, a, a, this community that is good news to the world, even if it initially it's disruptive to the world, because it almost always will be. It'll disrupt economics. It will di- disrupt the way we relate to neighbor. It will disrupt class structures. It will... Disrupt any misogyny or racism. It will profoundly disrupt the entrenched patterns of a culture when the gospel gets loose and just a few short, bald people or otherwise walk in who do not they're, not... they're not actually defined. either. they're the best citizens you could ever have. They are just not putting their first allegiance in some political system. They are men and women who say, we have one loyalty above all others. There is another king. His name is Jesus. Amen. And do you know what? A church like that turns the world upside down. Now, here's the story I want to get into proper. It won't take me too long, I promise. How did the men of Thessalonica know that? This is Paul's second missionary journey, but this is his first time in that part of the world. Never been in this part of the world. The gospel has never branched out into um, this this part of um, the, the, the Mediterranean. Nobody's come up here. It's Paul first to bring the gospel. How did these men in Thessalonica know that Paul and his compatriots turned the world upside down and had this fundamental commitment to another king called Jesus? How'd they know it? And the only way they possibly could have known that, you have to go back into chapter 16 of Acts and find out what happened in the last city they were in. Called Philippi. They had to get news from Philippi that this gospel troop <laughs> had come in and turned the world upside down. <laughs> so, uh, what I, uh, we're just going to go do a quick tour of what happens in Philippi and watch how the church comes into that community, the church represented just a few people, few believers who have made Jesus the center and foundation of their life and how it turns the world upside down. And then we'll think about what that means for us. The story is told in Acts 16, verses 6 through 40. I'm not going to read it because it's too long. I'm going to read portions and then I'm going to narrate some portions. But uh, let me just read the first part. Do you have Acts 16, 6, I think, through 10? Uh, Yeah, 6. If not, that's fine. Yeah, okay, here it is. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia... So let's just stop there for a moment. We're looking at those things that mark out a church, an ecclesia, that the Lord is pleased with and it's going to turn the world upside down. It doesn't matter how gifted, how extraordinary or ordinary the the people of it are. They have made Christ Jesus a center and foundation of their life. And we're looking at how do they function as they go where they go. And the thing we note from this Simple little few verses is this. It's a Holy Spirit-led church. The, 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 the spirits yes and the spirits no is just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, they, they sure, they, they must certainly sit around and do a little bit of discussion, collaboration. Maybe, maybe they vote. I don't know. But fundamentally, it's a spirit-led church. The Spirit says, go over here. You go over there. The spirit says, "Not there," and you don't do there. And we'll we'll see uh, um, a little later on the only way you actually live in the the overflow of the spirit's speaking and showing you that is a life of deep prayer. So a church that actually is ecclesia is a church of prayer that is deeply attentive. To the leading of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that's all over this is a church actually that actually believes in dreams and visions. Like Acts 2 stuff. The, the, the young men will dream dreams, and the old men will see visions, and it's gonna the, the words of prophecy are gonna come on men and women, on uh, all, all social classes. It's a spirit led church that has not stifled. The way that the spirit often works, which is dreams and visions. You have dreams and visions here, don't you? And it's not just pastors uh, of Jake and Jenny. They're encouraging you to have dreams and visions. (laughs) And Paul is so attentive to this reality of how God works by his spirit as a dream and a vision that he gets a guy yelling or shouting or waving at him (laughs) in a dream and says, so I want you to go all the way in the other direction, and as we read about the kind of itinerary, it's a tough journey, it's, a, it's sort of a zigzag journey, I want you to go to Macedonia, and Paul just says, okay. Kind a dream and a vision. When, when the spirit falls in Acts 2, and Peter gets up to explain it to people, and he says, quoting Joel, uh, this is that, this is the thing we, we've been anticipating, and the the, the dreams and visions, the young men dreaming dreams, a women seeing visions. He's not just saying it's going to be kind of creative and cool. What he's actually saying is this is the primary way the Spirit's going to move the church into the areas that they otherwise wouldn't go unless I open it up with a vision. And you can actually track the, the, the word dreams and visions through the book of Acts, 14 occurrences of that phrase. And every time you read about a dream and a vision, what happens is the Spirit of God opens up territory that the church would otherwise never have dreamt of going or would have the courage to go. And they, you're letting the dreams and visions go, right? <laughs> I mean, we just see it over and over. The whole, the whole mission to the Samaritans opens up through this. That Certainly the, 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 the way of the... Um, with the with the Gentile community is that weird thing where Peter gets that little sort of you know pigs in a blanket vision and um, and by the way when the board calls him you know the church board calls him in it's kind of like what are you doing he just says hey in a trance I had a vision and they go oh well you should have said that at the begin like try that Jake but anyhow. <laughs> Paul is so invested in the God who gives visions that when he's explaining himself to the pagan uh, Governor Festus, he just says, uh, I was not disobedient to the vision I had from the Lord. The church that God just says yes to, Holy Spirit led, that being nurtured by a deep life of prayer, and they pay attention to the dreams and the visions. Because that's the stuff where God's going to say, I'm going to show you the places that you would never dreamed to go unless you dreamed to go there. <laughs> I dreamed it through you. So that's what happens. One last little comment about this. This man in the vision, I don't know if it's a composite of all the people in Macedonia. I don't know if it's actually a person. But here's the thing. This is what we know about Macedonia, especially Philippi, the capital where Paul goes. It was the Abbotsford of the ancient world. It was like the hot place. It was like the real estate is skyrocketing. All the Costco's are going. I mean, like the best hospital is being built there. Like you drive through and you're like, I remember when this a little farm town, and now it's like, oh man, there's like million and two million dollar homes here. It was like it. It was like best schools, all of that. Um, they had no needs. <laughs> in Philippi. It was in some little sort of backwater. And yet, here's a man saying, we got it all and we don't have the thing that matters most. Get over here. We need the gospel. So I think God's uh, going to... I, I I've actually just came from an event... Uh, This week with a bunch of pastors from across Canada, what I'm seeing of the move of God right now is that God is planting really, really vibrant churches like yours in these places around the world that already had churches. And I'm not dissing any of those churches, but there's a sense where there is such a need for the gospel in these thriving, wealthy communities that have it all and don't have the one thing that they need the most. And we actually need more churches, not less. More ecclesias. (laughs) So, that's how it goes. Now, here's what happens, is Paul um, senses we're going to go there, preach the gospel, Um, and so they they pack up their... um, They get their Uber. I don't know how they get there. They uh, they, they get up there. And they get in. They go to the the capital, Philippi. And this is where we find out this prayerful church, actually. What happens is Paul, first thing he does is he goes down to find a place of prayer at the river. So uh, just a little aside, it's really cool where God gives visions, but he doesn't give blueprints. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Like if he had a blueprint, he'd like, okay, I know that first thing I do is I go to this person. Like, like all, all does is gives visions and says, I want you over there. I want you doing. I want you going to those people. I'm gonna give you the energy, but then he's like, go suss it out, dude. <laughs> you know, feel feel it out. So Paul says, I gotta go pray. So he goes down to the river and he's praying. And what is he meeting? He's a women's Rotary Club down there. Uh, there's this group of ladies, and they're all kind of having a little meeting. And there's a bunch of them, and Paul is just like, "Whoa, this is, I guess, my moment." And he starts telling them about the good news of Jesus. And there's only one of them, her name's Lydia, who whose heart opens to it. Ever wondered, Pastor Jenny, why uh, sometimes you preach a sermon and, and one person comes up and says, "You've changed my life," and the other person is like, "I don't know," but it says like somehow the heart is open sometimes, right? And so this woman uh, out of this, you know, I don't know how many, there's 12, 14, you know, women in the Rotary Club in Philippi, I don't know, but, but it's one woman and her heart opens, her name's Lydia, and she's, little clue, a dyer of purple cloth. You know what that means? She's rich. She's got means. From Troas, but has a house in Philippi, she's got means, So if this is the ecclesia, this is the church. These are bald, short people turning the world upside down. What we are looking for is, and that's a reputation that reaches Thessalonica, is how does the world get turned upside down in Philippi? And the first thing we notice is it gets turned upside down with rich people, the, the best of these, the most privileged of these. Their life gets turned upside down. And here's the first thing Lydia does when the gospel takes hold of her heart. She says, I got lots of stuff. Can you use my stuff? No kidding. Just go read the story. This is a little bit of a paraphrase. But she, she's got, she begs them and says, I got another house here. I got like two cars. I've got like a, I got just bought a brand new Acura or something. Can you use my stuff? And Paul, by the way, is no exploiter. He's like he has to be persuaded to it. So he's not one of those people like, oh, I'm really in this for the money. She has to convince them. Use my stuff. But here's the thing. i tell you what. There's rich people all over this community, and they're bored out of their minds, and they don't know why they have all this stuff. And they're really sort of weird about their stuff. You've met a few of them, haven't you? They're weird about their stuff and protective of their stuff and titled about their stuff. And, and they're just actually dying with all their stuff. And that one of the ways that gospel turns the world upside down for at least people like Lydia is it lands in their life and they think, hot diggity, now I know what all this stuff is for. Right. The church. I can, I, can, I can host people. I can give to people. I can bless people. Wow. God gave me a gift of making money, and it wasn't just for me. Turn the world upside down for her. Well, Paul goes back to that place of prayer. I'm, I'm just riffing. If you, if you had this, you know, Act 16 through, through 40, you'd be seeing along with me. He goes back to the place of prayer, and this time a little slave girl starts following him. I don't know. She's 14. She's 16. She's just a little girl. Probably First Nations. And she's got these really cruel owners or pimping her, basically. They, uh, she's got this gift, this, this demon in her, but the demon allows her to tell the future. So they're making her, I think, sleep in little cinder blocks, you know, six by three little cinder, cinder block place, and they give her some crust of bread, and they make money hand over fist on her. People coming from all over. She's good at what she does. They come from all over. They lay down the money. The owners get it. She predicts the future. Little slave girl. Probably war trauma. She's probably taken from one of the outlying tribes that Rome is conquering and killed her parents. Took her as a slave, sold her in the market. That trauma upon trauma. She's following Paul and Silas around. She follows them around for several days and she she shouts out loud, these are those. (laughs) These are... Servants of the Most High God telling you the way that you'd be saved. She's good, eh? I mean, she knows. <laughs> um, that's pretty cool infomercial. You know, you've got this, 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 this uh, occultic celebrity following you around sort of advertising what, who you are, what you do. <laughs> Person of influence in that community, everybody's trusting her with her spirit, you know, their future. And she's saying, Here are the this follower, you know, here's service the most high God telling way you should be saved. Nothing amiss in the message except it's breaking Paul's heart. Some of the translations is he was annoyed, but the actual Greek is he was almost could not breathe for his grief. Well, girl. Nobody sees, only sees how they can exploit her. And after a few days of this, Paul can't have it take, take it anyway. So he turns around and he casts that demon out. And in that one instant, she's freed from the demonic oppression and she's freed from her overlords because they can't make money off of her anymore. If the gospel sets you free, you are free indeed. <laughs> My w- w- wife and I have this ministry that you support, New Story, New Story Community. And one of the young women who came through it this year, um, when she showed up, she was in in a very, very powerful addiction, living on the street for six years. She was about 90 pounds. Her hair was shaved down to the skull, and her teeth were all rotted out, and she was very ill. And the people on the street had had used her terribly. And she came to our program, and my wife, who directs it, I basically am the woodman. Um, If you need firewood, I'm I'm the guy. But um, just every day would fill herself full with the Holy Spirit and then go down and love on this young woman. Every day say, I love you so much. She went from coming to us six years with a very serious addiction in this state of profound unhealth, um, 90 pounds, et cetera. Within nine months, she was 130 pounds. Her hair had grown out. We had worked with a dentist. Her teeth were repaired. And her favorite word is, I love you. And the ministry that we partner with knowing her full story, hired her to look after their babies and two-year-olds. I met at this event I was at just uh, yesterday and the day before, several people who met her at this ministry this summer, and four or five of them said, oh, I met her, and every one of them, independent of the other, said this, oh, she She glows. <laughs> One person, anointed with the Holy Spirit, who just pours out the love of God, and if the gospel sets you free, you are free indeed. Thank you for being part of that, by the way. So, uh, we might call her the, the, the least of these forgotten, neglected, abused, the girl I'm talking about, but also the little slave girl, and the gospel meets her and turns the world upside down. And, and, and then one last thing. and Paul, for um, for doing this amazing work of blessing in this community, uh, starts a riot. Um, you know, when I was a pastor, everywhere I went, they served tea. Everywhere Paul goes, they have a riot. But... Um, So there's a riot, and Paul and Silas get beaten. Um, typical day. As it so happens, and they get put in jail. And the, the jailer uh, is a mean son of a gun. We know because uh, well, he's following instructions too from the magistrates. But you don't get that job if you're like you know sweet of spirit. And so he puts him in the dungeon. He puts him in the lowest, darkest cell. And he puts manacles on them. And we know that the Roman practice was that when you had a prisoner like that, you put them on a size too small, so it bit into the skin. And before you put them on, you twisted the limbs into unnatural shapes. So you're bleeding from the beating. You're down in the dungeon. And you're twisted up with these manacles biting into your skin. What would you do? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I like to think I'm kind of maturing, but I might have a few interesting words to say. If I'd been in town doing some nice stuff for people, <laughs> and, uh, this is the result. You know what Paul and Salas do? they starts singing. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. What's that one that Jenny did today? Is that one of your songs, by the way? It's a couple of your songs. Yeah, like this, that one that Jenny did last week. Let's sing that one. And so they're just singing down there, and um, it says actually the other prisoners were listening. It says it explicitly. The other prisoners were. I uh, bet, eh? Bet. I think the prison guard is listening too, but he does fall asleep. Maybe he's lulled into the sleep state by the singing. Just what what is what makes what's the church? What's an ecclesia? that makes the heart of God leap, is that we sang it this morning, in the storm, in the trouble, when we don't know what's going to happen next, we actually will praise God. This is happening right now in this story. Mighty fortresses are God. And they are down there bleeding in stalks, in shackles. And they still believe God's good, and God's going to do something. So everybody says the says, There's an earthquake at midnight. Earthquake at midnight. Uh, some people have seen there's a miraculousness in the earthquake. No, it's earthquake country. <laughs> it happens all the time. But it's a powerful earthquake, and it actually has this beautiful phrase. I think it's. Uh, tell me what verse it is. 16 or something. It's 16 something, and it says, and all the doors flew open, and all the chains fell off. The gospel. Thank you. <laughs> All the doors fly open, all the chains fall off. This is such a powerful, like, we're talking not just Paul and Silas. We're talking every prisoner in there is just, boom, that you can run free now. And the jailer wakes up because he's, he's the, 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 the earthquake wakes him up. And he's about to run himself through because the thing is, if you are working for Caesar and you mess up, it doesn't matter whose job it is. You, it's your fault and you kill yourself. So he's about to do this, and out of the darkness, in the, a voice comes, and if Paul did have a sort of a squeaky voice, I think it, it goes deep tonight. And this is what Paul says to the jailer who's put Paul and Silas in the chains, pushed them down into the dungeon. This is what Paul says, do not harm yourself, because we're all here. You care for that guy, Paul? The gospel cares for that guy? He's going to turn his world upside down? You ever wonder what Paul means, we are all here? I can understand that Paul and Silas, because they didn't want this man to suffer even though he was a brute, they didn't, so, so they stayed, but we are all here That means that guy in cell block C whatever um, who's actually killed a bunch of people (laughs) and that other guy down in cell block B who's never ever ever since he was 12 passed by an opportunity to exploit somebody to his own gain and their own loss. He's never passed that opportunity by. And tonight they're all sitting there while the chains are off and the doors are open and they're not going anywhere. What is happening? Oh, the ecclesia, the ecclesia has showed up and they've sung in the chains and now there's a bunch of really rough, tough prisoners sitting there and they're sitting there and and uh, I noticed you're not running. Uh, The door, the door's wide open, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to sit here a while. I notice you're sitting there, too. Yeah, I'm sitting here, too. Why are you sitting there? I think that's the same reason you're sitting there. I just got to see who these guys are. I never witnessed nothing like that in my life. I've been looking for that all my life. I ain't going nowhere till I found out what's happening with those guys. <laughs> so that's where the jailer runs up and he says this. I'm almost done, Jacob. I'm sorry taking so long. I, I, it's a, he, he runs up and he falls on his knees. This is this tough jailer. Falls on his knees and he says to Paul and Silas, How do I get saved? Now, just understand, the gospel has never been into this territory. It's the first time. This guy didn't go to Sunday school and get a bunch of religious language. He, he, he's, not asking, he's not asking a theological question. He's, not asking, he's just saying, what do, how do I get what you got? <laughs> how do I get out of my life and into whatever it is that is animating? How do I get that? And Paul says the most beautiful thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be. (laughs) You know what? It's so simple even seminary professors can understand it. (laughs) And his world gets turned upside down. Uh, we, We know that Paul went back to Philippi. It seems like a short little visit. It's narrated in Acts 20. He goes back to Philippi. He goes and encourages Lydia again. Goes back to encourage the, the church there. It's probably six or seven years after this episode. Goes back to Philippi. Ever tried to just imagine what it was like walking into that church? If Paul hasn't seen them in seven years. He walks in, and there's this guy, like he's like six foot six, tats all the way up his head. Like he's just uh, just rippling muscle, and he sees Paul. He goes, Paul! He grabs him, and he bear hugs him, and Paul's like, who is this? And he goes, oh, Paul, you don't ever met me, but I was in the cell block. <laughs> I heard you singing. Never heard anything like it. I'm here because I met the God that made you joyful when you had every reason to be bitter. Changed my life. Turn my world upside down. And then Paul walks in and he sees Lydia. He sees she's aged. She's, she's great. She's actually not dressed as nice because she's actually been dumping money, giving it away, giving it away, giving it away. She's kind of, kind of cashed in a lot of investment. She's sold all of her nice cars. She's driving a wolf. She's just kind of. She's sitting there, and he goes up and goes, Lydia, and they hug and they love each other, and this is so good to see. And then Paul notices that uh, even though Lydia's happy to see she, her, eyes are actually on a beautiful young woman singing on the worship team. Paul keeps looking and says, I, "I, I think I know her." Lydia says, "Oh yeah." Remember the little girl? Not only did I realize that God wanted, gave me all this stuff to use, it, I, he was all these resources. I've been adopting all these girls, and they come into my home, and I mentor them, and I. And there's another one, there's another one. And then the pastor comes out in my little imagining, and guess who he is? The man from Macedonia who is waving all along, and actually he's the prison guard. (laughs) And he just gets down and he preaches what it is to be the church. And I think they have a little motto or vision statement or whatever. We're all here. Thank you. Bless you. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go we just want to remind you that you were made for hope.